This podcast was created and is hosted by a young survivor of stroke. This podcast series is part of Stroke Foundation's Young Stroke Project. Find out more by visiting youngstrokeproject.org.au. Born in Spain, lived and raised in Norway. Spain and Norway play football. Who do you follow? Spain. Spain. (laughs) Just because they're they're the best. Hi there. My name's Paul Burns. I'm a young stroke survivor and I am on a mission to talk to people that have suffered strokes and other traumas and have gone on to absolutely smash it in their chosen field. We'll chat about how they approach life, manage their shortcomings and get a few tips and tricks along the way. On today's podcast, I speak with Gustavo Zaera. Gustavo is a Spanish-born Norwegian multilinguist who has an absolute passion for technology. He has a master's in computer science, has studied at the University of California, and is currently the chief digital officer of a leading company that specializes in thermal batteries. We talk about his childhood experiences when emigrating countries, how that shaped his approach in dealing with a brain tumor he suffered in 2013, as well as other adversities that life has thrown his way. So please enjoy this chat I had with Gustavo. Going back through your story, you've lived a life that's kind of amazing. So you, I mean, obviously you're born in Spain uh, and uh, you emigrated to Norway in the sort of mid eighties ish. How did that come to be? Was that, how did that happen? Thank you so much for, for having me. Oh, no worries, uh, man. No worries. (laughs) It's my, my pleasure to be here. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So my story with, uh, with uh, Norway started, um, uh, how do I keep this short? Uh, my mom met a Norwegian man. Uh, Norwegians are, are are famous, infamous. I don't know uh, <laughs> to to uh, travel down to the Canary Islands mm-hmm. for holidays. So my my stepfather and my uh, and a friend of his were went down to Tenerife to have a long weekend or whatever it was, and then coincided with my mom being there. I was uh, six at the time, and uh, they fell head over heels in love with each other, and a year later, we they got married and we moved to Norway. Oh, wow. Okay. That's... So how did you find integrating into Norway from, from Spain? Did you, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how young you were, but was it a challenge? No. I was seven at the time. In uh, uh, we moved in April uh, 1984, uh-huh. and it was rough. Uh, I didn't know the language. I didn't know the culture. I didn't know anything. I was a small kid. I mean, seven years old. Um, and uh, right after we arrived to Norway, my mom gets hospitalized because she has uh, celiac disease that yeah. she's unaware of. And in Norway, uh, you eat uh, the culture uh, is very surrounded around bread yep so there's a lot of gluten in the in the food mm-hmm. so uh, she got really sick uh, just a week or two after we arrived and got hospitalized and and was in the hospital for for a month uh, during that time I was with my stepfather who spoke not very well Spanish and uh, obviously I was uh, somewhere uh, I didn't know yeah. Uh, anything about and yeah. Uh, yeah so that it was a rough start i can only imagine what you must be going through i mean how long did it take you to get your head around the language and the culture to to get you know to become acclimatized i remember um the first time i was able to go to the candy store and order stuff on my own 
that was kind of a milestone for me, right? <laughs> uh, I remember um, some uh, uh, situations in school where I where I uh, understood more and more. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, it was about six months, and I was wow. able to manage. Wow, six months! So you obviously speak English better than I do. Yeah. Sp- Spanish. <laughs> I'm Australian. Whether we speak English or not is largely open to interpretation. <laughs> but um, so you speak Spanish, you speak Norwegian. How many languages do you speak, Gustavo? I uh, uh, I mean fluently three. Yeah. Um, um, but I Spanish, Norwegian, and English. Uh, I also speak French at a at a decent level. Yeah, sure. And uh, I studied Japanese for a year. Uh, it's been many years now, so I, I, I can't really claim that I speak it. But at one point, I was able to um, uh, manage. I, uh, I managed to have conversations in, in Indonesian as well. I, I wouldn't claim that I'm a, a, a genius, a language genius in any way. It's just uh, uh, hard work and, and level of immersion. Yeah, sure. So... Did you learn English in Norway? I uh, learned English here in school, yeah. Uh, but I was never really good at it. I can remember uh, uh, being on, on flights to Spain as a kid and, 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 you know, sitting there and as the, as the, um, as the stewardess uh, or steward was, was approaching me, I was kind of rehearsing in my head the one sentence I was going to say to get that Sprite or Coke or peanuts or whatever it was I was yep. going to get. Uh, and, and that's back to the level of immersion. So even though uh, we have it in school from uh, in my generation, it was from fourth grade mm-hmm. in primary school. And uh, uh, all the TV shows and everything on TV here in Norway is in original language and subtitled. Yep. Um, and that's actually something that we are very fond, fond of because then you get to hear uh, the, the, the nuances in the original language. And reading is something that you... you you learn to do really quickly anyways. So, yeah. so, it's, um, so we learn to, to hear other languages uh, uh, in Norway. And uh, of course, most of the media we see is in English. But I, um, I didn't become fluent until, before I, uh, until I moved to California to study. So that, that brings me up to a question I was going to ask. How does a Spanish-born Norwegian guy end up at the University of California to study his Master's of uh, Computer Science? How, do, how does that even happen? I've always been fairly ambitious, and I've, I've, uh, you can always find your way through. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want something, you, you, there, there's always a way. So yeah. I uh, uh, was studying in uh, Trondheim in uh, the Norwegian uh, um, University of Technology at the time. Yep. And... Um, um, there were some internships around the globe where, that you could apply to uh, yeah. as part of the as part of the studies, where we need to have twelve weeks of um, of uh, uh, relevant practice for mm-hmm. for our masters. So I applied to to, to, to uh, five or six or seven of them. Yep. And the one that I got was in Menlo Park in Silicon Valley. So uh, that was great. I just uh, jumped on that and. That's got to be like the holy grail for computer science uh, students, right? Going to Silicon Valley uh, and doing an internship in, in the Absolutely. US. Absolutely. The sheer mechanics of being able to, you know, get over there and not only study, but 
again, integrate, start a life, find a place to live, work out what shops to go to to buy clothes. And, you know, just, I mean, how did you navigate? Did you just go, you know, what, just jump in, jump in the deep end and start swimming and see what happens? Or did was there any kind of guidance from your university or it's just like, nah, just get on with it? No, I had my 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 safety net, if you like, was uh, was the job, the 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 um, uh, the internship. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that uh, and uh, I was actually taking uh, uh, over for the previous intern, which who was also a Norwegian. Okay. So we had an overlap of a week or so. So uh, he kind of showed me the ropes and and uh, showed me a little bit around uh, the area and so forth. But I mean, Menlo Park is not exactly a very exciting place to live. Okay. At least not for me. This was in the summer of two thousand. Yep. I wanted to live in the city. Yes. So um, and from Menlo Park to to San Francisco, there's about forty miles. So one of the immediately I started looking around for for an apartment in the city, and yeah. uh, a week later I bought a motorcycle, and uh, <laughs> I just uh, uh, I had this this Lonely Planet guidebook where I basically just read up, read stuff in it and just sat on, uh, went out, sat on my motorcycle and started driving around the city. And I remember, you know, stumbling across a festival one day and stumbling across interesting sh- stores the other day. And, and yeah, so it's just this, this um, uh, um, strong curiosity and, yep. and, uh, and willingness, of course, to just put myself in situations where I'm uh, on my own entirely. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, I, that's I mean, that's an amazing sort of kind of image. It's like not only did you give the United States a go, you get there, go, no, that's it. I'm going to get an apartment in the city. I'm buying a motorbike. I'm cruising around California. I mean, that is most people would give their eye teeth for an opportunity like that. Man, that's uh, that is awesome. That's an epic story. <laughs> I was, uh, I had a great time in California. Three years I was there. Absolutely, living, yeah. living, <laughs> living the dream. Um, yeah, yeah. Seizing the moment is something that I'm yep. kind of good at. Yeah, uh, okay. Seeing an opportunity and uh, taking it and okay. making the move. Have you, have you always been wired that way? Have you always been, or is that something you've had to cultivate? Or No, I think, I think this, this comes from um, probably a darker place. Okay. <laughs> uh, being, you know, uprooted from my from my spanish roots mm-hmm. dropped in norway basically alone uh, yeah. at least the feeling was very very lonely of course um so what how, how do you survive that well you basically just have to s- observe see a possibility and, and and take it yeah i mean you've always been you've said you mentioned briefly just then you've always been an ambitious sort of person but it sounds like you've got a real eye for opportunity as well that must work sort of hand in hand to get yeah. you to amaze to get you to meet you know meet amazing people see amazing places absolutely i'd say that one of my one of my skills today uh, professionally and private i guess yeah. um is exactly that that i'm that i'm able to see in a greater picture i'm able to to identify something that is Within reach mm-hmm. and uh, and grasp it and 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 make the most of it. I considered tattooing, you know, carpe diem uh, for many years, but then it's too cheesy, so I never did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, I, I can understand that. So, kind of so reflects, uh, reflects uh, the, the the sentiment very well. That, yeah, that that definitely. Did mm-hmm. you ever? I mean, you mentioned you learned, uh, you know, a little bit Japanese previously. Did you ever get to Japan? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've been there several times. The first time was uh, I was there was. Um, uh, after my master's, I um, uh, celebrated by <laughs> taking my backpack and traveling the globe alone. Yeah. Um, and one of the stops was uh, was in Japan. Um, so I was there for about a week mm-hmm. before I headed down to Fiji and then to Australia. Actually, Wait, the only time I've been to Australia. You've been to Australia? I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> where, where did you come? Uh, Sydney, I was visiting a friend who was studying there. I stayed for three weeks. Okay. Yeah, I enjoyed myself a lot. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, I had no idea you'd even been down here. So, um, yeah. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Just back to Japan. I, Please. I, uh, so I went there for a week, traveled mm-hmm. around. I was a very uh, tourist alone. So it was basically me and my, and my camera. I've yep. always, um, uh, since I was uh, in my early 20s, I've, I've been fond of uh, photography. So I've been, um, uh, I have an SLR and, you know, the equipment and uh, oh. taking thousands of pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, photographs would be more, more accurate. Uh, so, uh, and the second time I went uh, to, to um, Japan was when one of my good friends uh, got married. Uh, I met him in Japanese class in California. And uh, got to know his uh, girlfriend, a Japanese woman. Yep. And then a few years later, they got married. Mm-hmm. Um, I had moved back to Norway at the time. So they invited me and uh, I was like, Japan? Hell yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. At the time, I didn't have family. I was single, you know, free and, and, and no, no, <laughs> no strings attached. Sure. So, um, so it was perfect. And that second time I saw Japan in a whole different way. The first time was like a tourist, you know, yep. you walk yep. around, you see the tourist sites, you take the pictures, got, get the t-shirts and, mm-hmm. and carry on, right? Yeah. Uh, the second time I was uh, I was kind of their, their guest of honor because I've, I had traveled so far. Yeah. I was the one that, uh, uh, for the wedding. So I, I got to spend the entire week and a half with the family of the, bri- uh, of the bride um, and we traveled around and we went to their hometown and in, into their parents' house. And, oh, it was fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. I saw Japan uh, um, uh, the, in a whole different way. And, of course, there's way more to see. So I, I'd love to go back. Do I remember you saying once upon a time that you're also a karate practitioner? Yes, that's did you, right. Did you train while you were over there? No, no. See, that's that's one of the <laughs> that's one of the items on my bucket list is yep. to go to the Okinawa Islands and and uh, stay there for maybe a month or three and just train karate. Yeah. So, are you, uh, do you be... do you still train in Oslo? Do you still train karate? No, no, I haven't done it for for a decade. Uh, oh, okay. Because yep. of kids and work and you know the the hustle and bustle of, of everyday life of course but um, um i intend to go back yeah. yes okay wow so wow so that i mean that just touches a little bit of the uh you know i guess the, the personal stuff uh, that you know that you've had going on but uh you know just to chip into a little bit in your career you know you've had an amazing career as well i mean you've you've had seven years inside you know uh, companies doing you know 
ITIL, uh, which if you're in IT, you'll know what that means, but it's like IT standards of deliveries. Um, mm. uh, you know, you're because because you're a software developer originally by trade, aren't you? You're a yeah. My uh, uh, first kind of. Uh, my my um, master's is in uh, telematics, so I studied the merging of the uh, uh, tel- telephone networks and computer networks. Oh, okay. Uh, which obviously in the in the 90s, this was highly irrelevant because yeah, we still had two separate, physically separate networks in the world. Mm-hmm. Today we don't. They have been merged, and everything is 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 data driven. Yeah. So uh, that's what uh, my studies, and uh, as a part of that, um, you have to learn how to program, right? And uh, I worked as a software engineer, uh, as a software developer, for mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years after that. And then uh, I've I've done all the steps, kind of in the digital side. I went from from software developer to system administrator to instructing uh, yep. people to get their certification on on uh, linux certifications as system administrators you've also worked in sales as well from what i understand yes yes I've, I've, uh, <laughs> back to this <laughs> to this personal trait of mine is that when i see a <laughs> opportunity i take it right so yeah. um and also i've worked in, in in organizations of various sizes um and everyone needs to have you know uh uh, people that are uh, have a wide profile, so mm. so that has understanding from technology, but is also able to do other related work like sales or or, or customer uh, development or uh, strategic work and uh, uh, being a trainer or whatever it is. Everything rooted in technology, but kind of the, the whole fan of of activities. So I guess being able, having that background and being so open to understanding people and their different cultures and the different way they think and their agendas and all of that different mishmash of understanding really how people kind of work, it must have stood you in really good stead. Moving into sales probably makes you what we in Australia would say a bit of a unicorn, really, being able to cross all of those different disciplines. I mean, would you think that's a fair statement? Uh, <laughs> I'm flying, I mean, not about yeah. the unicorn bit, but uh, about, you know, standing in you in good stead, I guess, uh, all, that, all that life experience. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, and this is also something, a, a personal trait or something that I've, that I've been um, able to do since I was a very small kid was to yeah. strike up a conversation with pretty much anyone. I can yeah. always find a topic, a common topic, and talk about that, and and make friends, quote unquote, mm. with with pretty much anyone. I remember well, some of my friends in Spain always made fun of me because they said, you know, you know, Gustavo, you're you're able to make friends with a rock. It's <laughs> and, yeah, definitely. Uh, but again, I think this comes back. It, it a lot of it comes back to the fact that I came to Norway as a kid alone mm. with no network yeah and how do you survive that you you have to go out you know you have to seize the moment you have to talk to people you have to and and so i'm very um extrovert and uh, talkative as you can notice Um, and in sales, it's all about the relationship, right? It, being mm-hmm. able to establish a good relationship as early as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely an advantage there. Absolutely. Okay. So I, I guess, you know, wow, you were really on the path then. And, you, you know, you were working for a company that I, I think I can, you know, compute us at the time. 
and you were mm-hmm. really kicking goals, getting after it. And then, um, you know, in 2013, you had some news that I guess was completely unexpected with being diagnosed with a brain tumour and going through all of that. When that sort of happened uh, in 2013, I mean, what did the medical profession tell you of what that was going to be like? First of all, the, the, the notification that they had found a tumour yeah. was handled extremely poorly. Okay. Because this uh, the notification came back from my uh, doctor, my regular doctor, you know, mm-hmm. the, the person you go to when you have a cold and when you, your feet hurt or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Uh, but she was busy when I stopped by to get the to get the response from the MRI, and uh, the girl behind the counter, uh, sorry, the, the 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 nurse behind the counter, yeah. she apparently didn't really understand what the what the the, the the letter she was holding in her hands was actually saying. So yeah. she just handed me handed it to me over the counter, and I left the office. And right here on my way home and, and broke down in between cars and uh, in a parking lot uh, uh, between my, my the, the medical center and my house. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, that didn't make things any better. Again, uh, on my own, alone, uh, in between, sitting between cars, crying my eyes out. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, scary stuff. Later on in the process, they um, uh, I met this young doctor at mm-hmm. the uh, Radium Hospital in, in Oslo, which is where you have all the cancer patients uh, of all sorts. Mm-hmm. And first time we met, she said, well, you know, you have a malignant tumor and, uh, and the way forward is going to be long and hard. I'm like, holy crap. You, subtle, you know, but you. to the point. Yeah, yes, yeah, subtle. So so I, I couldn't believe my ears because, mm-hmm. first of all, I had been told that it was a benign tumor and that this was going to be no problem. Okay. So, so I come into this and meet her, and she's basically telling me the opposite. I mean, it felt like the the, the, the ground was dis- disappeared beneath my feet, right? Yeah. I had two kids at the time. Uh, I still have two kids. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and my youngest was six months, and my oldest was uh, two, uh, three, three okay. years, three years old. So, I mean, I, you know, all the fears that go through your head in a situation like this, and then you have a doctor saying saying something as grave as she said, that was horrible. Yeah. That said, the rest of the. Um, contact i had with uh, with uh, professionals in norway was was great okay so i complained uh, yeah i <laughs> bet you did her, to her boss mm-hmm. and he took my case uh, himself oh well okay and he was a super great guy so from that point on everything was uh, smooth is maybe overstating it a bit but <laughs> at least from the treatment side of things the the the, the relationship how i was met and handled was, was good did they ex- uh, did they set your expectation with what the process would look like yes okay, okay yeah oh they did yes and did it go so you actually had that journey that plan sort of mapped out for you did it go according to plan yeah, like the, yeah 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 okay um 
So uh, like any uh, medical treatment, right? Uh, mm. All medical treatment is, uh, is voluntarily. Yep. So um, they say, well, you know, this is the situation. You have a tumor in this area. This is how we would proceed. Mm-hmm. We recommend you to do so, but it's up yeah. to you. Yeah, sure. Um, but it, it was, um, uh, they didn't draw out the entire process over a year. They said, yeah. you know, this is the situation now. This was in February. I got my surgery April 10th. Okay. So during that waiting time, yep. I, they, they explained to me how the surgery was going to be and yep. what was going to happen the few weeks after the surgery, but not what was going to happen six months down the road. Ah, yeah, I guess it's, <laughs> I mean, it's probably impossible in, in fairness to them. It's impossible to say. I mean, I've had the same exactly. experience. So, exactly. So, so it all From depends on how the surgery goes right? yeah. and what fine and uh, doing a proper biopsy of the tumor so they can see how, how uh, uh, aggressive it is. Um, yeah, okay. And based on that, they, they would, you know, uh, apply the appropriate uh, way forward. <laughs> so during that time from February to uh, April, mm-hmm. I uh, was basically waiting. I was in a, in, 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 waiting to get this this uh, this uh, surgery, right? Mm-hmm. And that was not a good time. Not it must have been hell. <laughs> it, it you know small kids at home. I had a work where I was doing well, and uh, all of a sudden you get I get I get this uh, notification, and then I have to go wait, kind of in this vacuum situation where you're where you're, I don't know what to do. Should I ke- keep working? Should I pretend like nothing happened? Should I go home and, and and cry myself to sleep every day? What what do I do in this situation like this? Uh, so what I did uh, is, uh, you know, in a situation like this, you feel very out of control. Being out of control in your own, of your own life, in this gravity is really uncomfortable. Mm. I, I guess it's real uncomfortable for anyone, but I, I, I can only speak for myself. It was, it was uh, definitely for me. Yeah. So um, I figured, well, you know, um, uh, I'm going to start vlogging about this, doing a video blog uh, okay. where I uh, basically tell the world how uh, this how, how this is going. And uh, so I started recording videos, uh, not on a daily basis, but almost on a daily basis, like every, every two, three days, and maybe a video that was uh, between two and four minutes long. And uh, I always thought, you know, how, what can I tell to the world, to anyone who's in a similar situation or, or uh, is in the care for a person in a similar situation? Yeah. What can they learn from this? What, what, can, what kind of value can I, can I give to them given my current situation? So that was kind of my guideline. And then I just started doing these videos. Okay. And I kept doing them from mid-February uh, until... Uh, the last one was maybe three years after um, the surgery. Okay. So during that period of time, obviously you had a, a little bit going on. It's astounding that you still had the presence of mind to think I'm going to share this story with everybody because I guess not everybody would. It'd be, it would be quite an all-consuming thing. Yeah. How did the people in your circle react and relate to you? I mean, I, you know, I've had experience where people don't quite know what to say when you've had this massive life event occur. I mean, how did, how did people relate to you? Did they relate to you any differently? Were they cool? Like, how, how did that work? See what I what I wanted to avoid 
mm-hmm. was I didn't want to have the awkward situation when you meet someone and they're like, yeah, so I, I, I heard that you had something. It, it, are you okay? Yeah. I just, I just didn't want that. Yeah. So if I post videos out of the world, mm-hmm. people will probably meet me where I am at the moment instead of, instead of asking me how's it going and all I mean that's that's great that people care for me and ask me how how, how it's going but I, I wouldn't have to repeat myself so many times if everyone knows what's going on so um it was great it yeah. was it was fantastic I mean during during this period of time I got kind of a, a, a fan group if you like of, uh, of something like 100 people, um, primarily through Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, they uh, visited me, they sent me flowers. I mean, people I hadn't seen for decades. So so it was absolutely only a positive uh, experience to use social media to expose myself like that wow. and the feedback I got. Arguably, you were in one of your most vulnerable moments in your life. I mean, that yeah. takes a lot of... Did that make you nervous making that decision to share that? Or you just went, no, this is just me. Let's just get on with it. Probably the latter. Yeah. <laughs> just jump into it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, um, uh, I like risk. And yeah. I'm also a little, how bad can it get? You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of naive that way. Maybe even stupid. But yeah. <laughs> as, an, as a related story to that, when I was, uh, the last day I had at uh, Computus uh, before yep. the surgery, Mm. Uh, the guy who had uh, the HR responsibility for me, he bought some cakes and uh, he invited a bunch of people and we sat in a room and we were maybe 20, 25 people and they were kind of wishing me luck and, and goodbye and hope to see you soon again and all that. Yeah. And uh, he told me uh, that, I mean, our, our common boss who I, I had worked closely with, Lashula, mm-hmm. they told me later on that they had had a chat with the HR director and the HR director was concerned that how, how would you expose someone uh, that is going into brain surgery? How would you expose them like this to, you know, invite a bunch of people into a room and have a cake and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you know, for Gustavo, this is, this is the right thing to do. Not for somebody else, but yeah. for him. And it was absolutely right. I mean, I felt so good after that. That's amazing. So going into the surgery and that time, you must have been, you know, having some symptoms and, and some things like that. And then coming uh, the other side of the surgery, what sort of after effects did you have to deal with? Uh, I think it was uh, after the wounds heal. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. even if it's a brain surgery, it's it's still, you know just like a cut yep. so after two three weeks your wounds are are, are have healed and then yep. you can continue on with with more uh, uh treatment so after about i think it was three weeks um i started radiation therapy okay which was uh, a total of uh 45 or 50 applications one per day over the yep. period of time of uh, almost three months uh, nothing in the weekends and then every every day during the week so I had okay. to drive into the radium hospital, put myself into a machine, get <laughs> grilled, uh, and and uh, go back home. Oh, wow! So was did you have to deal with things like? I mean, I know in the in you know in the in the in the stroke community, you know, we talk a lot about you know fatigue and and both cognitive fatigue, physical fatigue. I mean, did you deal with similar sorts of issues? Absolutely. Yeah. The the result of a treatment one day. Yeah. Uh, so you go into the radiation machine, you go in, you feel well, you go out and it's like 
somebody hit you in the head with a hammer or you've been sitting in front of your computer for 20 hours straight without going to the bathroom. That kind of, you know, yep. grill feeling in your head. You, your head is just like a balloon, yep. right? And um, then it accumulates. So the first day it's it's uh, bad. The second day it's worse, and the thirtieth day it's it, you know rock bottom. Mm-hmm. So and then it takes a while for the body to recover, even after that you stop getting radiation. Uh, so in my case, after something like sixty days, it takes a couple of months mm-hmm. for the body to recover and to to get your energy and your level of uh, get, uh, returning to normality, if you like. Okay, how much? How much? I mean. How much insight did you have into just how fatigued you were? Did you like? Were you pretty consciously? Yeah, I'm. I'm totally toast. Or do you think? No, I'm fine. I'm going to work tomorrow. Everything will be great. A combination. Yeah. Because you know, one of the things uh, every time I walked into the radio hospital, and 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 still when I go to my yearly checkups, it's not a place for me. I don't yeah. belong. Yeah. You know. I'm yep. sure you can relate. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm 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 really not this sick. So all these other people are sick, and they need yes. help. You know, for them, but not me. Yeah. I I need to get out of here as soon as possible. So yep. you know, I basically just run through the corridors and just get my stuff done and get out of there as soon as possible. Yep. So it's that aspect, and then at the same time, I didn't deny what I was feeling. So okay. if I got tired, I would go and lay down. And, yeah. Okay. And, and stay down for whatever amount. So I slept a lot during the day, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> but at the same time i reconstructed my entire garden you know so i got like 11 tons of of soil and a new lawn and uh, I, you know I, yeah I, I i needed to do something that i felt progress on with my hands in real life not yep. just doing this so when you're talking sort of fatigue did people understand that yeah. i mean it was yeah it was pretty well understood and I, and I think the, the explanation that I got, this, this comparison to being in front of the computer for way too many hours, mm. most people have done that in some way, either mm. you know, binge watching a series on TV or, or working for too many hours straight. So, they, so I think they pretty much got the sentiment okay. of how I was feeling. And of course, everyone is extremely respectful when it comes to any injuries inside of the cranium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you, how long did how long did those symptoms stick around for? Do you still suffer with fatigue today, or mm, it's hard to tell? Yeah. Uh, I remember I was uh, so so I was back at work after eight months, uh, but just you know a day a week or something okay. like that, and then I kind of scaled uh, scaled it up, and I was fully back at work one hundred percent after eleven months, ten eleven okay. months, right? And then after that, I took on one of the most requiring projects of the history of the company uh so so i was definitely back and and was fine after that um when it comes to fatigue uh, uh like permanent uh damage i was about to say it's it's hard to differentiate what's what so yeah. i uh had small kids mm. i uh, had this brain tumor and all the 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 the, the treatment that came along with it Mm-hmm. I uh, had a job and I was ambitious and, I, and that, that demanded a lot of me and I, and I like to work a lot. Mm. So what of those, these factors tires you out? Mm. Uh, and, and also I, I got older, right? So <laughs> I, I went from, 
from 35 to 36 to 39, 40, and and now I'm 45. And and <laughs> so what's what? I'm definitely mm. more tired now than I was when I was 30. But yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> for obvious reasons, right? Yeah. But I, 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 one thing that that uh, that stuck around was uh, I remember I was in one of my my consultant consultancies. No, how do you say it when you talk to a doctor? You attended one of your appointments and spoke to one of your prof- medical professionals. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Sorry, yeah. that was. I don't think I helped there, Gustavo, at all. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, so, English, my first language. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of my meetings was with, with the doctors yep. uh, one of my checkups so they always ask me you know the, the moment I, I first I do an MRI and then a week later or so that I meet the doctor and they they tell me uh, how, how it's going yep. and the good news is are always nothing has changed yeah. you know the MRI now looks the same as it did one year ago that's mm-hmm. what we want right yeah so I mean I I, I go in, walk in the door and as soon as I'm in the door, door they mm-hmm. say everything's okay and then we can talk about other things, right? Yeah. So that's uh, a nice way of doing it instead of uh, me squirming around in the in the <laughs> squirming around in the in the chair. <laughs> so they said, you know, um, so how are you feeling and so forth? And this was probably uh, a year after mm-hmm. the surgery or or a year and a half or something like that. And I said, well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm more dizzy than before. Ah. I, I mean, I've done karate. I've been very active. I've always. Mm-hmm been very um, playful if you like uh, yep. and I, I have a fairly good uh, 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 local locomotive uh, uh, control yep so I can uh, I've done all sorts of sports and so forth and I've never gotten dizzy I would okay. go on all the all sorts of, of um, uh, uh, carousels and, and stuff at, at, at theme parks and never gotten dizzy wow now I could just turn around and I almost fell yeah right so I, I told them that, you know, when I run down the stairs to catch my train mm. and, and the, the, the stairway is kind of in a spiral downwards, yeah. uh, I get really dizzy and it lasts for maybe 10, 15 seconds and then everything is uh, fine and then I can continue running. Okay. And, and the doctor was like, so you're running down the stairs, are you? They all, yeah, okay. I guess you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that kind of puts it in perspective, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. So, do, you, do you still get dizzy? Like, you still get dizzy now? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a permanent uh, permanent damage. I mean, it's not something that bothers me greatly, yeah. but I do get very uh, dizzy. I do get very dizzy very quickly, and it passes okay. uh, fairly quickly. So it's yeah. not something that hinders me in doing anything, but it's it's something that that wasn't there before. Yeah. Okay. Is that is that pretty much the only kind of long lasting physical effect you've had? Or yeah, wow, I have been extremely lucky. The surgeons here have been so good. I yeah. mean, they are they are. I, I, it's always dangerous to say the best in the world, but in my experience, they I, definitely yeah, were. yeah. Sure. <laughs> so my mom had the same type of tumor. Oh. Uh, and my uncle had the same type of tumor. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> we're talking about um, an ependymom in, in the fourth ventricle. Uh, it's a very medical technical term, but it's basically in the back of your head yeah. uh, in the beginning of the spinal cord. So it's very accessible. It's easy to, to, to get to yep. um, as opposed to having a tumor in, in the middle, in the center of your brain, right? Where you can't access physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this kind of tumor is very uh, rare 
in Grown Ups. Oh. Uh, and all three members of my family got it when we were Grown Ups. Okay. So there's, I've done, uh, I've participated in some studies, but they can't find anything. They can't find any explanation to why my uncle, blood-related uncle, mm-hmm. my mother, and myself had the same kind of tumor. Jeez. Now, uh, just uh, going back to to why I have been very lucky, and I think that my surgeons have been the best in the world, is because mm-hmm. my mom has much more severe uh, secondary effects from okay. the, from her treatment. Uh, the scar is ugly. Uh, she stumbles around like a drunken sailor. My uncle was kind of the same. Uh, so, so of the three of us, I have been the one with the with the least amount of, of uh, uh, long term uh, effects. Do you think your karate training assisted with helping with your balance and recovery, like that background that you had? Could be. I don't know. Maybe. Mm. So sure. uh, basically the back of your head and the, the, the secondary effects that, that were at risk uh, when I went into surgery were losing my ability to swallow, losing my hearing yep. and getting my balance affected. Okay. Those were kind of the highest risks. Yep. And of course I was freaking out. I, imagine if I get out of surgery and I can't swallow. Yeah. Oh, that would be horrendous second yeah. long-term effect. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that didn't happen. So, so the first video I have on my on my vlog after the surgery, you know, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm basically waking up from the from the uh, anesthesia, and the first thing I do is that okay, I can feel my toes, I can swallow, I can count my fingers. I'm like, okay, this is good. <laughs> but, uh, so, so the balance is definitely something that could be affected. And in my case, it got yep. very little affected. In my mother's uh-huh. case, it got affected a lot. Uh, and she was also older. Yeah. And my uncle was also quite affected by, by uh, his balance was quite affected. So I've been lucky. Yeah. So going into that situation, having those issues, getting that diagnosis, getting that uh that horrible experience of having a letter passed to you saying, congratulations, you have a brain tumor, um, which yeah. I can't even begin to imagine. Gustavo, how do you stay, how did you stay so positive and so driven in that? I mean, that, you know, it would be certainly understandable for, for a lot of people that would just put them in the ground, you know, as in, you know, mentally, I mean, how did you maintain such a, a driven mental space for want of a better term? From very early age, I learned how to control my feelings. Okay. And this is uh, a good tool to have in certain situations. But if it, if it becomes an automatic response to challenges, that control leads to a debt, if you like. So emotions okay. and feelings, in my experience, have to be, to be, they have to leave the body somehow. Mm-hmm. If you keep corking that up, you will have a bigger issue at a later stage because sure. the, the 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 debt becomes too big to carry, right? Okay. I stayed positive by basically denying feelings. Okay. And I understood, you know, logically that mm-hmm. okay, I have I am going to have to deal with this debt at some point. You know, I, I let my feelings out uh, whenever it was uh, necessary during um, uh, before the, the surgery, after the surgery. It, um, but when I was back at work 100%, I 
started going into therapy because I figured that, you know, there, this has been, this is such a big trauma and mm. I haven't uh, gone into it a lot. Yep. I've ignored it more than I've gone into it. So uh, I started going to, into therapy, therapy and um, started fixing up in that trauma. And of course, other traumas that showed up. Sure. <laughs> into things. So um, I guess that's that's my answer. You know how how do I stay positive? Is is in the moment in the moment of crisis I ignored the feelings. Yeah. I understood that I had to deal with them at some point, and then a bit later I uh, uh, took it seriously and went into therapy. I started going to therapy and and uh, uh, managed that way. But I guess you had the presence of mind and the life experience to know you can fake it for a while, but you're going to pay for it later. So I'll defer the payment, but knowing that I'm going to have to pick it up at some point, because I guess, uh, uh, you know, I'll freely say myself included, you know, we we don't always have that, that level of level of wisdom. So how did you come to that level of realization, that level of insight? Is that, is that a culmination of your previous life experiences where you put that together at some point? Because that, to me, doesn't seem like a natural kind of, I mean, natural, that's the wrong word. I mean, a, an, in, an obvious thing. I mean, that, that takes a, a lot of insight that a lot of people probably wouldn't have. Hmm. That's interesting. I, that I don't know, actually. Okay. I don't know how to, uh, to me, it came uh, fairly natural. Because I'm a very logical guy. So, yeah. so I, I, I thought, you know, all right. Having a trauma this big, obviously, this is a big deal. And if I'm not feeling too much right now, and yep. I, I'm just, you know, stepping on the gas and, and moving forward, you know, with the video blog and with with uh, uh, just getting through treatment and, and redoing my garden and yeah. <laughs> stuff, I just logically understood that this is not right. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, I I I have to pick it up. Where that insight came from, I don't know. Wow, that's that's an amazing thing. And I, you know, you've gone through that process. You've come out the other side of it. You seem to have, you know, or I guess you always continue to deal with life experiences, you know, in, in your own way. Um, and then you've gone well. Let's get into the startup scene um, and start coaching people through startups and things like that. I mean, how did you get from? that uh from your you know your cancer and recovery experience through to developing an interest in startups well when i finished my master's and after i did my my little backpacking uh, tour uh, uh i came back to norway in 2004 this was before computers before the tumor um okay. so in 2004 i co-founded a company okay uh, uh and i stayed in this company from uh, it was called Free Code, yes. and I stayed at this company from 2004 until 2011, where I went on to Computus, and in th- 2013 is where I had the, the brain tumor, right? Yep. And back at work fully at, in 2014. So uh, Computus' main customers are uh, governmental uh, uh, entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do case management systems for, okay. you know, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, for the police, for all the courts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they do some really heavy and solid work on, on super critical uh, IT systems. Mm-hmm. 
And that's very exciting, but things move slowly. I mean, <laughs> that, that is a constant obviously. for governments in the entire world. It is exactly the same in Australia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, for, for obvious reasons, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm not, um, um, it's not my intention to, to criticize them in any way, but just is what I it is. Wanted, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I wanted to uh, work in an environment where we had a higher level of of uh, speed, uh, more dynamics, a higher level of innovation, if you like. In 2016, I was done with a a large project as a project manager. I had uh, completed a uh, two-year board uh, uh, membership in computers, and and I figured, you know, I have done everything that I can to get this company to shift focus towards digital innovation at a higher uh, degree yep. than we're currently doing. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't seem to be interested in doing it. So then I'm just going to go somewhere else. So I left uh, computers in 2016, in the fall of 2016, and uh, without any plan. Um, well, that's not true. I had a plan, but it was uh, sketches of a plan more than anything. So. At the time, I had uh, 300 uh, connections on LinkedIn, so not a very big network. The whole startup um, uh, frenzy that is going on now, at least Mm. in Norway, started a little bit around 2016. Um, So we had some conferences and the lean startup was getting wind of the sales and, you know, it was... It was exciting stuff. So I left the company. I figured, you know, I want to work with these companies. How do I get there? I don't know. I yep. start going to conferences, start going to and talk to people. Uh, Doing so what you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talking to people. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So so I landed a job a month later with uh, uh, a startup uh, that had the toolkit to enable faster innovation for the uh, uh, digital product development. Mm-hmm. So I figured, okay, so these guys have made the tool to do what I want to help others do. Either yep. do myself work in a company doing this or help others do, improve their speed of, of digital innovation. And then I, uh, I became uh, the business developer for, uh, for uh, Syncano was the name of the company. Mm-hmm. So I worked for there for three years yep. uh, and met, you know, I don't know, 70 different companies. Uh, and I, uh, at the same time, I went in the, um, uh, uh, the whole startup community was starting to grow a lot in mm-hmm. this uh, time in, in Norway. So you had uh, incubators and, and uh, st- uh, startup hubs and, and accelerators and all these type of organizations to help early phase st- uh, companies off the ground, which we have seen for a while in, in, in Silicon Valley. Yep. Now we were trying to import this and uh, in, um, um, uh, implement it in, in Oslo. Yep. So I, I thought, all right, this is, this is my chance, right? I'm just going to jump on it. So I, I went and applied at uh, a couple of hubs and uh, they liked what I said and what I had to, to uh, uh, share yep. and the knowledge that I had. So that's how I became a mentor for, for early phase companies. Wow. And I, yeah. <laughs> so just though, again those skills to just decide i've got an interest here i'm gonna go meet some people and see what happens uh, you know i guess a, a lot of people would would love to have that that skill set it's um and now you've gone on to even evolve a little bit more um as the chief digital officer of a you know 
I guess, a leading Norwegian company that's on the cutting edge of thermal battery technology. Is, yeah, that, a fair, is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, it is. It yeah. is absolutely. Actually, uh, I just posted on LinkedIn yesterday that um, McKinsey has done a, an, an article, a study here in Norway to see how uh, how we can replace uh, the oil business. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, maybe 80% of Norway, Norway's income is from oil. Yep. Uh, we have a lot of oil in the Northern Sea that we basically uh, pump up and mm-hmm. sell. Okay. and uh, get very wealthy uh, doing so. <laughs> but it's not very CO2 friendly. It's not very good for the environment. It's not yep. very good for uh, uh, a lot of things. So uh, there, we have a, a green shift. We're in the midst of a green shift in Norway, internationally as well. There's a lot of focus. How can we invest this money to do, to do the green shift? Yeah. And they have listed 10 areas where Norway can replace 70% of our, of our current income from the oil. And it's, you know, hydrogen and it's uh, um, uh, wind, par- uh, wind uh, uh, turbine parks. And it's, uh, I can't re- uh, remember all 10, mm-hmm. but battery technology is number three. When, I, when we talk about batteries, most people think of electrical batteries, because yeah. that's what we have seen always, right? Yeah. Um, but a battery on its own is just a temporary storage for energy. It doesn't need to be electrical energy. It can be any kind of energy. So the concept of a battery is a bit bigger than just electrical batteries. I guess that's an amazing story you've gone from, you know, where you've come from to cultivating those skills and that experience and, and then having that massive event, um, you know, in your life and then maintaining, you know, that mindset to, to deal with things when they need to be dealt with, and then to continue just to have that ambition and that natural curiosity. One, one of the secondary effects or, or one of the uh, consequences of having, uh, uh, of having the tumor in 2013 was yep. that I got a higher sense of urgency in life. Yeah, okay. Because... Something that big, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, but uh, mm. for me, it was something that big kind of uh, um, re- made me remember that you might not be here tomorrow. You mm. never know. Mm. You really never know. We take life for granted and we walk around and are happy and expect here to be next week and next year and then the decade after. Yep. But it's not so. Life is much more fragile than that. So after my 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 uh, uh, sick leave and I was back at work, I made a three year plan and I was like, you know, hell, I'm going to make most of life. Yeah. And this is what I'm going to do. And I am going to have a job where I work with innovation because that's what I want to be doing. And I'm going to to give this give it a try at my current company for two years. But when those two years are ended, and I don't see clear indications of the company moving in the direction that I want to be working it, mm-hmm. I'll jump ship. And that's what I did. So on the good side, uh, higher sense of urgency, more focused. I don't waste my time uh, doing stuff I, I that is not uh, uh, taking me to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. On the bad side, um, it's a bit stressful to be that conscious of everything you do at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine <laughs> So, so maybe now that it's been, you know, almost 10 years since my surgery, it's actually mm-hmm. nine years come April this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably uh, relaxed a little bit on that. 
Okay. And I'm not that, you know, focused and so uh, uh, um, extreme on, on measuring everything I do, if you like. Okay. I've got, a, uh, I've got a final question I sort of want to put to everybody that I chat to, because one of my primary drivers for having chats with people such as yourself is I remember when I woke up after my event, you know, lying on a bed, having doctors tell me things, my future being very uncertain and, you know, not really knowing what's going to happen and what my capability was. In fact, everything that everybody told me about my capabilities were your capabilities are going to be greatly reduced. So what sort of advice or, you know, is there one or two things that you would tell that person, um, you know, lying in that bed in the early stages of recovery from whatever, what would you tell them? I mean, I know that's a very open question, but you know, what hmm. what what would you have done differently, if anything? What what pieces of advice could you offer? I think maybe that acceptance is the key. Yeah. Because if you accept your current situation, and I mean really accept, not not on a theoretical level, but really yep. feel it and accept it, and 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 come to terms with it, I think that's got to be the first step of. Uh, leading a good life because yeah. um, I mean I, I was super lucky so I'm not, I'm not trying to <laughs> to to relate to anyone that has had uh, uh, long-term effects that are more, much more grave than mine sure. but I, I in my case I, I think I would have had less pain if I accepted my situation earlier mm-hmm. uh, than I did yeah so, so I mean we all have an idea of the life we want to have you yep. have an idea of the life we, we currently have. Yeah. And uh, when that is, you know, taken away overnight, so to speak, mm. uh, it, you're allowed to feel sorry. Mm. You're allowed to grieve. Mm. It's, it's the life you, you wanted or, or was trying to get didn't turn out as you, as you planned or as you, as you wanted. And it's okay. To be to be sad and sorry about that, yeah. and take your time to grieve properly. Yeah, because then you can accept easier uh, the, the current situation. And just because your life didn't turn out to be the way you wanted, doesn't mean that you're not going to have a good life. There are so many variants of a good life, mm. and uh, it doesn't need to be one way or the other. It's, it, it doesn't matter what you do. It's, it's uh, what really matters is how you feel. So it's more inwards than, than, than outwards, I'd say. So would you say that acceptance process, because hands on part, it's something I still struggle with today. Um, every, day, every now and then I go, oh, well, yeah, I've got this now, got it. And then, then I don't. <laughs> I, 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 I do too. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I can... <laughs> I'm not saying that. Hey, I got all the answers. No, I mean, no, no. Theoretical no. level, I, I can, I can, you know, talk about it and think about it, and and how far I have gotten uh, uh, in this is, I'm not 100 percent done either. By yeah. all means, is that acceptance a continuous process? Do you think? I think it might be, yeah. And yeah. then, of course, life will serve you more challenges. Yeah, every day. <laughs> uh, the challenges are not, I mean, that that's life, right? It yeah. just starts one challenge after the other. And I think that accepting uh, your uh, the change situation and the change capabilities mm. um, alters a lot of things, but I think it's kind of the root of, of, of the way forward. 
from my perspective, um, the acceptance that I had a brain tumor and that that's uh, what it was and that has affected me in some ways. Yep. For me, that's kind of a, a finished part. Yep. But at the same time, I do go walk very quickly through the radium hospital when I'm there yep. on my yearly pickups. So yep. it's not 100% done, right? <laughs> the the I, acceptance. I mean. Yeah, and I don't think anything like that could be. I mean, it's a case of, I mean, look, I hate hospitals. I refuse to go usually, um, you know, even just for incidental things. I don't, know, I don't want to see the inside of that. I mean, something like this is always going to stick with you. Yeah, you know, it's probably. like any any life experience. So, I mean, I guess part of that acceptance process, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head before. Maybe, maybe part of it, because I don't know the answer either, part of that acceptance process is to understand that emotionally you're going to pay for this somewhere down the line, so you better... Be prepared to pay the debt. Acknowledge that the debt's there. Be prepared to pay for it because that's part of the deal. Accepting what what has happened and then the therapy afterwards has been crucial to to be able to move forward. Okay. Because I did a video of me. I filmed uh, a, a session of regular therapy. Oh yeah. Uh, I I talked to them. I was allowed to do it, and uh, so I did. Okay. So and just hearing the sound of the machine cool. sounds kind of like a like a train yeah this electrical sound right this i uh, showed the video to one of my uh, uh um, hearing it is, is 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 something that really sticks with you because you're mm-hmm. strapped down you're completely uh, um you can't move right and uh, you get this radio therapy and then you feel bad yeah. afterwards mm-hmm. and day after day after day after day for for a total of 60 days right yeah so i remember showing this video to one of my cousins in spain uh, six months after i was done with radiotherapy and i just broke down in tears yeah just from the sound of the machine and this was in christmas of 2013 i pulled up this video and watched it the same video like mm-hmm. maybe half a year ago Mm-hmm. And I felt nothing. It was fine. Wow. I can remember it as memory. Yeah. yeah. It didn't break me the same way. Yeah. And I think this is thanks to therapy. Okay. The type of therapy that I've been doing is going in deep into traumas, get it, get a hold of the feeling, and just cry it out. Wow. So is that, would you, do you call that like trauma therapy? Is that a special kind of, because I, I don't know a lot about it. Is that a, it's, it's called uh, emotion focused therapy. Uh, okay. Have you ever seen the movie Fight Club? Yeah. <laughs> Can you remember the scene where they go, uh, where where uh, uh, the main character uh, Edward Norton is yeah. crying his eyes out in the in the breasts of this other man? Yeah, that, wasn't that Meatloaf? I think <laughs> yeah, it was. I think it was Meatloaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's kind of the same. Of course, it's it's a bit uh, uh, funny in the movie, but it's sure. the same concept. It's okay. it's taking a stuck feeling yeah. uh, uh, that you have inside and the way of getting it out is like small kids do they yeah. cry it out they spit it out they they, they kick it out yeah. a, a two-year-old child is an expert yeah. in getting traumas out they mm-hmm. get it almost on a, on a daily basis they their life is turned upside down pretty much all the time well mm-hmm. sort of figure of speech well, right? yeah of course yeah but they are really good at not bottling it down yeah. But then as we get older, 
we are taught that no, you can't show emotions here, or you can't. This is not okay. Or I mean, uh, it's it's not happening everywhere uh, at all times. But yeah. uh, uh, you know, four years ago in Spain, uh, this was the way to go. Mm. You have to keep control of your feelings, bottle them down, and move on. Yeah. And uh, so the type of therapy that I've been doing for the last eight years is basically go in, get a hold of a feeling, get a really good uh, uh, grasp of it, which is difficult on its own when it's been bottled down for, for years and decades. Mm. Uh, uh, you might not feel anything. I mean, you might have to go in fourth rounds of therapy before you even start feeling anything. And mm. then you start to get a hold of it. And then all of a sudden the trauma comes up and then just get rid of that nasty ghost that yeah. is in the basement. Yeah. And when I've been doing this over and over and over again, yeah. especially with the example of, of, of the sound of the machine, mm. as I like to call it, mm. the feeling is not as scary anymore. So it doesn't okay. trigger me the same way. And that's what I basically proved to myself when I watched the video half a year ago and it was okay. Yeah. That's an amazing tip. That's, uh, yeah, I think for anyone out there in that f- fresh position to... Yeah, to start, I guess, coming to terms with those. I mean, not just the pure facts of what's going on, but the emotional impact. Because what you're right, we are taught to just, I mean, in Australia, it's very much a, a harden up and get on with it culture, particularly if yeah. you're a guy. All over the world, it is. I mean, that's, mm. that's uh, in Norwegian, a small child falls, you know, you know, Norwegians are really good at skiing. Yes, uh, yes. They're, they're really <laughs> back again. Yeah. Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm really <laughs> and proud of yeah. being part Norwegian. Um, <clears throat> but uh, when you teach small kids to ski, you know, they fall down and they hurt themselves. And the traditional way of dealing with that in Norway would just be, say, in a very cold way, get up. Yeah. yeah. You know, you don't, you don't validate the feeling that it's frustrating that it's bad that it's that you might have been hurt hmm. it's just shut up get up and let's move on yeah today we don't do this parenting these days is, is very very different but yeah. this is the traditional way sure. same same thing i mean this is how we humans have have taught our our kids to to move on in life is don't feel too much uh and just carry on yeah yeah and from a uh emotional perspective that's not the best way of doing things no definitely not definitely not particularly uh yeah dealing with those uh yeah those big situations most definitely well, Gustavo, again man thank you so much for your time yeah I, I really appreciate it you've you've given me a lot to think about if i'm perfectly honest so uh, i'm gonna go away and have a little bit of have a little bit of a think and uh yeah have a chat to a few people i know so thanks man thank you so much This episode is part of the Young Stroke podcast series created by Stroke Foundation's Young Stroke Project. Find out more by visiting youngstrokeproject.org.au. You can listen to dozens of other podcasts on our stroke recovery website, enableme.org.au. StrokeLine's allied health professionals can help you manage your health and live well. StrokeLine is a practical, free and confidential service. Call 1800 787 653 Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm, Australian Eastern Standard Time, or email strokeline at strokefoundation.org.au. The advice given here is general in nature. 
discuss your situation and needs with your healthcare professionals. The Young Stroke podcast series is presented by Australia's Stroke Foundation and funded by the Australian Government Department of Social Services.